Okay. Oh, USA Today's got a lot of good stuff today. Including this photo. Which I'm sure you can see. Checkers Guide reference on the cover of the post. They know who's reading now, I guess. I feel like I'm on acid. Like, why is the post making... something. Okay. I like that one. Okay. Let's start here. Let's see how this goes. Okay. Uh, this is in the New York Times, $3. This is uh, Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021, by the way. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Inflation robs New York of a cherished treat. The $1 pizza slice. This is by Nicole Hong. 
For two decades, 99-cent Fresh Pizza, a New York City chain, has charged $1 for a slice of cheese pizza, luring anyone who needed to fill up for cheap in a notoriously expensive city, from construction workers to students to late-night partiers. But the pandemic has thrown its business model, which relies on heavy foot traffic in office districts and tourist hubs, into an existential crisis. With inflation rising at its fastest pace in a generation, prices for just about everything, from pizza boxes to pepperoni, flour and oil, have skyrocketed. The chain's owner, Mohamed Abdul, is now agonizing over whether to raise prices for the first time since opening in 2001. Maybe I can raise it five cents, he said. Some customers don't have the money to buy the pizza. I'm thinking, how low can I sell it and help the customer? Mr. Abdul is one of the last holdouts in New York City's fiercely competitive dollar-sliced pizza scene, where a growing number of chains have raised prices or closed locations, in part because some can no longer pay their rent. No other city in America has dollar-slice culture quite like New York, which took off in popularity after the 2008 recession. Although I would say that, um, I don't know, the uh, cheap New York slice of pizza has probably been a staple of, I don't know, the entire American mindset across the entire country, extending coast to coast for I don't know, since the advent of whatever Italian-American, like, the actually the advent of, like, the modern restaurant pretty much was, like, that whole thing, I think, was basically Szechuan and that Italian-style food with, like, pizza coming maybe a little bit later after that. Like, anyway. Pizza businesses nationwide were hugely successful during the pandemic, well-positioned to... Oh, page break to a17 let's see let's see if the fun thing has the um, serious topic next to it no they put another they chose to put another fun story next to this one okay um, but inflation has been especially threatening to dollar slice operators in New York who maintained razor thin profit margins by depending entirely on customer volume and cost efficiency. Many owners of dollar slice businesses, including those who raised prices, said their revenues are half of what they were in 2019 before the pandemic. In November, inflation jumped to the highest level in nearly four decades, fueled in part by a 6.8% increase in food prices, according to the most recent Labor Department report. Restaurant prices in the New York area last month had their largest ever year-over-year increase since 1987, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In a potential bellwether for the universe of $1 goods, Dollar Tree announced last month that it would raise prices of most items to $1.25 by the end of April to offset wage increases and higher distribution costs. For pizzerias, each ingredient has become more expensive for its own reasons, economists say. A severe drought in parts of the U.S. and Canada decimated wheat crops, driving up flour prices. Worker shortages at meat processing plants led to higher prices for pepperoni. Pizzeria owners buying canned tomatoes from Italy or red chile flakes from India faced higher shipping costs. A winter freeze in Texas earlier this year curtailed production of resin, a raw ingredient in plastic straws and packaging materials like shrink wrap, and in perhaps the biggest shortage of all for pizzerias, reliance on food delivery in the pandemic prompted a surge in demand for increased prices for pizza boxes, paper plates, and takeout containers. The saving grace, business owners say, has been cheese, typically the biggest cost for any pizzeria. 
Average block prices are down from last year's un- unusually high peaks, which had been prompted by government programs to help dairy producers. Yes, this is the concept of government cheese. It's not exactly what you think it is. It's more than just, uh, I don't know, an idiomatic meme that you've heard. There's a lot to that. There is a strategic cheese reserve or, well, I don't know even what they call it. It's like a, a dairy reserve or something like that. But basically, the government does take time to lock up and rotate a calorie store for the entire country. I mean, probably not for the entire country, but, you know, for government personnel related military stuff like that um there is like a calorie an emergency calorie distribution program like dire straits nuclear war it's all gone wrong everyone's gone society has fallen um there are like you know reserve stores for things to like have like some bedrock to like hold on to maybe if like they can even distribute those resources um, but there is a uh, cave. It's been it's documented. There's like a vice story about it a long time ago. But like uh, there's a cave. It used to be like a salt mine or something. But I think uh, so. It's kept it like that constant. Was it the cave temperature like 53 degrees or something like that? Um, where there's just thousands and thousands of barrels of basically. The kind of cheese that you would see in like an MRE or Velveeta. It's basically Velveeta. It's that's what it is, sort of. Um, it's like suspended. It's cheese in suspended animation, and it does exist. And you know, whether or not <laughs> it has anything to do with uh, the price manipulation of the dairy market, or uh, you know, dairy insurance, or whatever. Uh, some government purchases of dairy products altering the price does go to the production of that interesting cheese product. A winter freeze in Texas earlier this year curtailed production of resin, a raw ingredient plastic straws, and there we are. Saving grace has been cheese. Typically the biggest food cost for any pizzeria. Average block prices are down. Here we go. But the U.S. Department of Agriculture is already forecasting that block cheese prices will rise next year, partly because a drought in California is expected to reduce milk output. If cheese prices soar for an extended period, that would be... That would be the straw that breaks the camel's back with respect to the dollar pizza business. That was a quote. Said Eli Halai, co-owner of Two Bros Pizza, a chain that is credited with propelling the dollar store the dollar slice into mainstream popularity and spawning countless imitators in the 2010s hmm. fascinating i bet you everyone in new york city knew that and i didn't interesting because of stable cheese prices which account for almost half of the food costs at two bros the chain is still charging one dollar for a cheese slice at six of its nine locations though newer stores with a less established customer base have raised prices to 150 Stuart Cole, a sales consultant at the Italian food distributor Ferraro Foods, definitely seen their trucks plenty of times, said a lack of truck drivers hmm, has exacerbated rising food prices to the point where he has had to personally drive ingredients to customers. Some deliveries, that's insane. What? Okay, he's a sales, con- yeah, that's fair. He should be doing that anyway. 
Some deliveries that used to arrive to customers at 9 a.m. now come in at 7 p.m., he said. And when trucks fail to show up in the morning, restaurant owners scramble to find emergency supplies for the day, paying much higher prices. So are they going to like a grocery store or wild? Some dollar slice businesses cut costs by purchasing preformed dough, Mr. Cole said. In the cutthroat world of cheap pizza, owners have also accused rivals of paying illegally low wages. Mm, yeah. And topping pizzas with fake cheese products. That would be um, difficult, I think. I think that. I think it would be particularly difficult to fake a New York slice. I mean, yeah, you'll fake it with the tourists because they'll think basically anything above Domino's is like an authentic New York slice. I mean, we all know that like only a New York slice can exist in New York kind of and nothing else because like the expectation is so high and the competition is like ridiculous. Not only is it everywhere, it's basically kind of the same thing everywhere. I mean, you know, generally speaking, there's an expectation. It has to fit in that mold. And if it doesn't, it goes like, We've all seen that place that like opened up right next to the other place, and then you know, the one, it you know it might have looked a lot nicer, it might have been brand new, but it might have closed up in a year because, you know, it wasn't the right thing. At least I mean I've even seen that here in Cape Coral. Oh, gonna have to clap for that one. Gonna have to cut that out. Oh, let's continue here. The mere concept of charging $1 slice is controversial in pizza circles. Critics call it a race to the bottom, arguing that dollar slices devalue New York's renowned pizza scene and led to the closures of pizzerias that charge $2.50 a slice. I, is it okay that food costs... I mean, yes. I mean, I, I am... Believe me this i am a supporter of, of many causes and the, anything that would impact this what i'm about to say believe me just two dollars and fifty cents is not a lot of money to pay for a new york slice of pizza especially let's say you're like in queens manhattan brooklyn your rent is gotta be a considerable amount well over three thousand dollars probably you can you can pay 250 for a slice of pizza in new york city just to have the convenience of having a slice of new york city pizza available to you i don't know that seems like worth 250 it'd be worth it to me i could walk outside and get a slice of new york city pizza i mean here like if i want a pizza there's one place that i can get a new york city pizza from here uh in cape coral florida there's one place that i can get it um and let's see an eight slice pizza it's going to cost me probably 24 dollars i bet no with tax over 25 dollars for the pizza over 25 dollars i guarantee you in new york city a fucking full size just cheese you know cheese pie ain't going to be fucking 25 dollars there's one spot i can get it and i think it's probably it's there's only two places in this entire like region of the state that like will that i know can like deliver consistently on like a cheese pie slice two 
And this is a city full of like people from New York City. So, I mean, my fucking family, even. Like, Jesus. Um, oh, I have gone off on a wild tangent. <laughs> okay. Okay. So should I just, like, write the fucking article now? Uh, I'll continue. In quotes. Any town where you can struggle to pay the rent and still get a buck a slice is pretty damn good, said Scott Wiener, who runs a pizza tour company in New York. Though there are no precise overall numbers, dozens of eateries across New York City sell pizza slices for $1. The pizza slice... <laughs> the dollar slice business that are still standing have largely relied on rent from landlords. Haiki Aden... Nope, I'm going to fuck this up. Haki Akdeniz, the owner of Champion Pizza, said some landlords have threatened to sue over rent, forcing him to close three locations during the pandemic. The day I closed, it hurt me, he said. I cried. It's not about money. It's about eight years of hard work building up my business. Uh, yeah. His Essex Street location on the Lower East Side has survived because the landlord gave him a discount to stay in the 200-square-foot kitchen. 200-square-foot kitchen. Mr. Akdeniz sells about $1,200 to $1,500 in pizza a day at that location. On a recent Wednesday at lunchtime, the counter bustled with middle school students from a nearby charter school waving dollar bills to get a slice of pizza. For adults, a cheese slice costs $150 before 8 p.m. A man began to ask customers in line to buy him a slice of pizza, and Mr. Akdeniz gave him two free slices. The man said he lived in a homeless shelter and was looking for a job. Mr. Actonese, who was once homeless himself, suggested that a man could place menu flyers in apartment buildings for his business. A lot of people are suffering, Mr. Actonese said. I want to open a pizza shop with only homeless people working for me. Fuck, dude. Can we, like, make this dude mayor? Jesus. But the optimism is fading for owners like Abdul Batin, who operates a chain called 99 Cents Hot Pizza. He has already shut down three of his nine stores during the pandemic and is considering closing three more, which will lay off a total of at least 20 employees. Mr. Batin opened his first dollar slice business in 2009 after he immigrated to New York from Bangladesh. I cannot survive this. Everybody I talk to, they're thinking of moving out, Mr. Batin said, referring to the community of pizzeria owners from Bangladesh. Nobody can do it for a dollar a slice anymore. He said his business was hurting. He said his business was hurt by the large number of regular customers who are still working from home. Outside Mr. Bettine's store in downtown Brooklyn, there are both help wanted and space for rent signs. This fall, he raised prices from $1 to $1.50 for a cheese slice. Silden Ned a street vendor who sells used goods noted the higher price, but still eats there about three times a week. Prices have to go up sometime, Mr. Ned said, as he walked in for a slice. It's still cheap. At another chain called Joey Pepperoni's Pizza, the owner, Teddy Gross, is leaving. <laughs> if anybody in the world has ever owned a uh, pizza restaurant 
this man, this owner of Joey Pepperoni's Pizza named Tony <laughs> named Teddy Gross, he owns a pizza store. And he's leaving. Well, not anymore, because as I continue the sentence, he's leaving the pizza business for good. He bought three locations in the year before the pandemic, when the chain still charged $1 for a cheese slice. After he incrementally raised prices, he said his profit margin was around 10%, which in the food business is, uh, that's not, that's not any, you can't. That's not. Oh, buddy, how'd you let it get that far? Mr. Gross recently sold or closed all three stores and is thinking about moving to Florida. Buddy, I can't advise it. At the Tribeca location, he said, the landlord hoped to find a new tenant willing to pay 15000 in monthly rent. Mr. Gross paid 3000 a month during the pandemic, down from his pre-pandemic rent of 9500 I'm going to take a breath after that. Holy shit. You can sort of get away with higher rents if you're charging three fifty or four bucks a slice, he said. Honestly, one dollar pizza really shouldn't have ever existed. Let me hear uh hear from all the new yorkers out there if you want to want to hit the hotline 888-842-2357 um let, let me know what you think about the uh the one dollar slice uh going away let me know what you think about that because i think that um i don't know i have some very complicated thoughts on that clearly one dollar a slice is take inflation out of the, out of the question remove inflation okay Remove the rising cost of goods. If everyone in the city is trying to make a dollar a slice, and everyone's fixing to that price, you've, 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 what, like, commoditized pizza? Like, it's just universally everyone can get a slice of pizza for a dollar. I mean, that's, that's a, we should just socialize that honestly that's what we should we should just have socialized pizza that's it the new york slice should be socialized that's my solution it's basically already socialized if see once again once again here this man talks about there we go and and it's perfect here we go this man right here uh, who was he uh he had the idea first so he can be he can be the new mayor. Um, his name last name was Haki Octanese. Here we go. Next mayor of New York City, Haki Octanese. He says a lot of people are suffering. Uh, Mr. Octanese said, "I want to open a pizza shop with only homeless people working for me." There we go. We solved the homeless situation. The unhoused. Um, can run the socialized dollar slice New York City landmark. Everyone knows New York City for the slice. It's perfect. It's a perfect solution. Jobs for as many who need it. 
pizza for as many who need it, price the place that it needs to be, and uh, Mr. Octanese can become the first mayor with a good idea for New York City in, uh, I don't know, probably recent memory. I'll just say that. There we go. That's what we learned today by paying, uh, what was that, to open up the New York Times today? We paid, uh, we paid $3 to learn this bit of information today. And this is down below the fold again. How about that? Well, that's enough of the times. Let's see. I just want to read this real quick. This is from the Post from December 18th. This is a few days ago. Alec Baldwin is quite a character, and here is a little bit more of his acting. This is an article titled, Alec Fires Back, Gun Request a Lie, uh, by uh, Yaron Steinbuck. We'll go and say, I'm going to read this. And I, I don't think I need to say anything at all, actually, in commentary on this. Alec Baldwin has denied the claim in a search warrant for his cell phone that he asked for a bigger handgun before he fatally shot a cinematographer on the set of his western flick, Rust. This is, in fact, a lie. The choices regarding any props by me, this is a quote by him, for the film Rust, were made weeks before the production began, the 63-year-old actor and producer wrote on the official Hilaria and Alec Baldwin Foundation Twitter account. I still think it's pretty funny that people publish her name Hilaria, even though that's, but whatever. To suggest that any changes were made before fatal, sh interesting. He said this. He actually, that's why it didn't make any sense. To suggest that any changes were made before fatal shooting is false, added Baldwin. Pictured, who looks like shit, who linked to a Newsweek article about an affidavit from <laughs> his in his reply to the post, he linked to an article <laughs> by Newsweek about an affidavit from Detective Alexander Hancock that was included in the search warrant. Authorities in Santa Fe, New Mexico, beautiful town, issued the warrant for his phone Thursday and part of a probe into the death of I want to say her name right so badly Helena Hutchins in October investigators believe there are key conversations on the device related to what led to her death I don't want to say what I'm thinking yet but if I'm going to think about it as I drink this water. I want you to think about it, too, for just a second. I want you to think about conversations that might be on that phone.
Baldwin previously told authorities they would need to get a warrant, according to the document, which was obtained by the Post. The actor and the film's armor, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, emailed back and forth about the type of gun to be used in the scene. And, quote, he said he requested a bigger gun, according to the search warrant affidavit. So he said it. <laughs> he chose a, quote, period, end quote, Colt with a brown handle. So I think, I think the idea here is that uh, the, I just want to say the Post or anyone, the Post, the post more so because they're typically like the people to most inject I don't want to say editorialization specifically, but they want to lead you. If they have more information than they can print, the post will lead you on more than any other paper to like um, at least assert that they believe or do know or have information to take a specific stance. And they will usually lead you. I mean, I'll, I'll say nine times out of ten that they take that stance. I mean, it's the New York Post, and yes, they're they're the closest thing to a tabloid that we have that's actually a newspaper in the United States. But when they make that assertion, that's the value of the New York Post, and people frequently laugh at it, and the covers are fucking crazy, and, and you know, I don't know, they are what they are. Someone out there is doing a really good job in those covers. I shouldn't say that. Um, quite honestly, it's 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 impressive, and usually they're pretty funny. Um, but like. The post, the editor of this article allowed them to say that and didn't take it out. So, I'm just going to read it out here. He chose a period Colt with a brown handle. Now, period was in quotes because that's like literally what she said, but I, I think... The point was to every single time that there's ever been like a new defense thread that he has pulled out of his pocket, it's been planted with a seed. It was, I didn't pull the trigger. It was this, it was that. Right now, I think that he's going in a new direction. I think he's going to say, which is completely irrelevant to the, the tone of the information, one okay i'll just i'll just fucking say it there's definitely something going on there was previous conversations i don't think that this was an accident um in the sense that accusations had been made i think that this isn't an accident in a way that hasn't been proposed at all i think that it was an accident to I think an accident was involved. I don't think an accident is how you would describe this scenario were to it be inspected in a court of law. But I'll continue. Katerra's Reed, the armorer who didn't do her job, who was, you know, uh, fired because, or excuse me, hired because the union armorer uh, was let go. And in fact, she wasn't even the person that was hired. Technically, it was like her grandfather that was like basically hired and like he sent her 
So and and she had only worked on like one other film, which had notorious. Apparently, like the everything has come out now about like that production was like dangerous as fuck. Um, people were just shooting live rounds again, much like in this case. She checked the cartridge, which would have been the one fired, and said the first one she pulled out didn't have that, pointing to the projectile end of a bullet. Now, in this case, what they're actually saying is a cartridge. This is so... This is another one. This is like a clip and magazine online idiot kind of argument like this is it's hard to explain things about guns without sounding like a pedant because basically yeah i mean people argue about them for a number of reasons mostly political and then if you sound accurate about something you sound like you're taking like a side which is hilarious that like having knowledge of something is like a side but it is in this fucking disaster um they're saying that the projectile bullet was removed from the shell casing that was still left you know the brass cylinder that would be empty sitting in the uh revolving cylinder of the gun there are supposed to be two blanks one live round and uh, i guess the other three were empty now it is very strange to me, I will say, that the one bullet that was fired in this scenario was not only high caliber from period, I mean, all period weapons would have probably been 45 long Colt, I'm going to guess, or maybe mm, period for late 1800s, early 1900s, 45 long Colt, probably. So you're, you're, or maybe well, there was a forty-four at the time, as well. For that kind of like cowboy-style revolver, but I think, I think, maybe not, no, no, it didn't happen yet. Anyway, doesn't matter. Earlier this month, Baldwin told ABC News George Stephanopoulos that he didn't pull the trigger. He also claimed that someone else, not he, put the live round in the gun. Meanwhile, Baldwin was seen leaving the home alone Friday seemingly still toting the cell phone that investigators have issued a search warrant to get. And they'll get it. I'm sure those discussions will be relevant at some point. Anyway, here's one more thing I wanted to read. Um, I think this is from, let's see, this is from the 18th as well. Fans to Giants. Stick your free soda. The last straw. And there's an inset uh, fumble. But it isn't bad enough that the Giants have bumbled their way to a 4-9 season. You're saying thank you to the loyal fan base with a free soda on Sunday. By Ryan Glass-Beagle. New York Post. Saturday, December 18th. The Giants have been mocked for the performance on the field this season, but they are now the subject of online ridicule for their Fan Appreciation Day promotion. Which I didn't see it online, but I imagine all Giants fans online are acutely aware of this. 
Shortly after 10.30 a.m. on Friday, Giant season ticket holders received an email from the franchise saying that they are entitled to one free soda during Sunday's game against the Cowboys. As part of Fan Appreciation Day, Pepsi is excited to provide all Giant season ticket members with a giant... Excuse me, not a giant, a medium-sized fountain drink at this Sunday's game, reads the email, which was obtained by the Post. I imagine by an employee. To redeem this offer, simply show the barcode below to any MetLife Stadium vendor to be scanned when making your Pepsi product beverage purchase. I imagine that season ticket costs thousands of dollars. The email stipulates that season ticket holders are limited to only one soda and that the offer is only valid this Sunday. The email did not include any other gratitude for diehard Giants fans or any other entitlements or discounts besides the free soda. The 4-9 Giants say that the soda promotion is not the only appreciative gesture they have in store for season ticket holders. The franchise told the Post that the soda promotion is one of several around Sunday's Cowboys games and that others will be announced on Saturday and Sunday. USA Today was the first to report on the promotion. They just wanted to credit them. All right, and now you have proof that the show is really recorded in my living room. Uh, so if I'm going to go finish this one up uh, two hours later after a delicious sandwich and a visit from the UPS, uh, season ticket holder Scott Wiener, 33, from Hoboken, told the Post, I thought it was comical. It was almost a slap in the face to ticket holders spending tons of money on each and every year to watch a losing team and just give a medium soft drink to us as a way to appreciate the fan base. Dave Rothenberg a Giants fan and sports talk host for ESPN New York initially thought the email was satire. When I first saw the story, I thought it was from The Onion, Rothenberg told The Post. Once it seemed to be true, I felt embarrassed yet again for the Giants' decisions. <laughs> Personal seat licenses for the Giants at MetLife Stadium cost between $1,000 and $20,000, and that is before you get into the prices of the tickets themselves. I hope MetLife on Sunday is a 99% Cowboys fan. <laughs> And owner John Mara has to drink all that soda himself, tweeted Nick Costos, a gambling personality for Odyssey and WFAN. Oh, you have to love WFAN. Oh, he's also a diehard Giants fan. Go figure. Matt Ehlt, an editor at Sports Illustrated, mocked the team, tweeting, I'm not sure what's better about this. One, that the Giants are offering a free soda after 10 years of terrible inept football, or two, they aren't even giving you the large after 10 years of terrible football, and it's only worth the medium. And, uh, yeah. 
that's how the post feels about uh, that. So let's continue. I just want one more thing before we go. I have to check out the snapshots, give you a little preview of the snapshots, rather, because we know where they typically show up. Uh, today is on the life section. We're looking here. USA Today bestsellers, top-selling titles for the week ending December 19th. Man, full list in tomorrow's USA Today. Let's see. We got uh, the judges list. Number five, John Grisham. Nice airport novel, Atlas of the Heart, Renee Brown. Not familiar. Cat Kid Comic Club, Perspectives, Diver Wimpy Kid. Still existing. Wow. Twelve and a half. I'm going to assume that since the holiday season, most of these are children's books because people are buying them for kids. Except for the John Grisham novel. Although that might also be for kids. I don't know what that reading level is. I assume it's pretty accessible. Um, oh, here's a surprising little tidbit that I am also going to toss on top. You never know when this is going to end. Here's the Royals report from the USA Today. This is a $2 paper. Um, worth it, I'd say. You get about... That's it. It's the most value you can get out of a paper. It's about eight pages, and it's all good info. <laughs> It'll be a Windsor Castle Christmas again for Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, and this is uh, Steve Parsons. This is a an AP story, Royals Report. Queen Elizabeth's plans. It will be a Windsor Castle Christmas again for Queen Elizabeth II and her family. They're skipping the holidays at the Royal Sandingham Estate amid growing concerns about the Omicron surge. The BBC told, oh, the BBC and the Guardian report, so you know that it's true and that the Queen is merely afraid of Omicron. That's why she hasn't left the house in, uh, you know, uh, weeks. Instead, the 95-year-old monarch will remain at Windsor, west of London, where she has stayed for most of the pandemic. Hmm. For decades, members of Britain's extended royal family have spent the holidays at Sandringham, where crowds gather to watch them walk to church on Christmas Day. The family returns home for holiday meal and then settles in to watch the Queen's annual Christmas broadcast. Also for the second year in a row, the Queen's annual Christmas lunch, which she hosts for dozens of her relations at Buckingham Palace before traveling to Sandringham, was canceled. I'll give you... No, no guesses. I'll give you no guesses as to why that is the case. Also, the USA Today gave the fourth Matrix two stars and uh, the new uh, P.T. Anderson film three and a half stars. So there you go. That is everything you need to know for today, and you couldn't possibly need to know more. And if you did, then uh, you need to go somewhere else. Thank you.